Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, alumni, and welcome to After Four, the podcast that is just for you. It's the first Tuesday of the month, so you know what that means, Urbana. Now, before I introduce our guests for today, I have some really good news to share. There's an alumni discount code floating around out there for $100 off your Urbana 22 registration. Uh, Guess what? Christmas came early this year, and that discount has been boosted to $150 off. And that also goes for those of you who already registered using the code back when it was $100. So jump onto Urbana.org, use the discount code U22ALUMNI, and enjoy $150 off your Urbana 22 registration. But be sure to act quickly because this code expires on November 30th. All right, on to our guests. Now, for you Urbana episode purists out there, I admit this isn't an Urbana guest in the strictest sense. This isn't someone you'll see on stage, and it isn't someone who's played a hand in planning Urbana 22. It is, however, someone who's been influenced by Urbana and by InterVarsity to participate in God's global mission. The vision that our guests have for these ideas is exactly in line with the ways we're going to be developed while at Urbana together. So, who is it? Today, we're going to be chatting with Josiah, founder of Beza Threads, an organization that's partnering with people in Ethiopia to rescue women out of the huge sex trafficking industry there. We're going to hear all about it from Josiah and from Brianna, designer and marketing specialist for Beza Threads. It's such a fantastic conversation. We talked about so many things. I seriously had to leave like 20 or 30 minutes of great content on the cutting room floor. For real, one of these days, I've got to start releasing some bonus content that is especially for you subscribers. This would be a fantastic episode to do that with. But for now, I've said enough, so let's get to it. Here's Josiah and Brianna. This one's for you, alumni. Josiah and Brianna, welcome to the After Four podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm excited to talk about Beza Threads and the work that you all are doing. But before we even get into that, let's just get to know each other a little bit here. Introduce yourselves, the things that might be most helpful for us to know as we jump into this conversation. Josiah Carter here. I live in Des Moines, Iowa, greatest city in the world, except when it's winter. <laughs> I've been married 13 years. My wife, Megan, who's also an InterVarsity alum. We've got three kids and I, uh, my day job outside of Basic Threads is uh, I'm a senior director of finance for a company that operates retirement communities all over the US. So the last three years with COVID and all that has been chaotic to say the least. I love gardening, love home improvement projects. Brianna, how about you? I'm Brianna. I also live in Des Moines, Iowa. My husband and I also celebrated 13 years of marriage this year. We have four kiddos. Fun fact, I actually found out I was pregnant with number four on one of our trips to Ethiopia. And one of his middle names is Addis after Addis Ababa. So Ethiopia and Beza will always be dear to me. Um, I have a friend who gave me a houseplant for my birthday in the middle of COVID. And within six months, I had over 50 houseplants. <laughs> There's probably 70 in here now and then another 30 in the rest of my house. 
That's fantastic. I love it. These are awesome flavor text moments here, getting to know both of you. Tell me just a little bit about some of your college experiences. You know, where did you go to school? When did you graduate? What did you study? Tell me just a little bit about those college days. Went to Drake University, which is in Des Moines, and studied accounting and finance there. And I think it was maybe my sophomore year, a buddy and I were looking to find a Christian group on campus. And we came across InterVarsity. And it was this incredibly eclectic group of people from all different backgrounds and parts of campus. And uh, it felt like home. And we did some of the silliest, probably some of the dumbest things <laughs> I'll, I'll ever have that I probably won't share the stories here or with my kids. But it was just a great experience. And you know, for me, one of the things that really stands out from that time is getting to understand the rich and deep tapestry of our global community church and all the different tasks of how people within the Christian faith get to know Jesus and seeing how people worship differently and study the word differently for me was really a big impact. I met my wife at university. That's kind of a big deal. And then uh, I got to spend a summer in Ethiopia how I got there was a crazy story and the experience itself was life-changing. Now, Brianna, I know that you're not an InterVarsity alum, but tell me about your college background and were there steps being taken in your faith at that point or what was going on for you during your college days? So my first round of college, I graduated high school early and went to college right away. And while I was at college for a few years, really did wrestle with who is God and do I want to follow him and what does that look like? And through a series of events, God grabbed a hold of my life and I surrendered completely to him. And my first journey to college actually ended early. My husband and I, who were high school sweethearts and then went to college together, ended up moving back home together at the same time. And I took a break and became a mom. And when three of my kiddos were babies, I ended up going back to school for the second time. So at that point, I went to DMAP, which is a local community college here in central Iowa. And I got a couple of degrees in fashion and marketing. And that is a journey that led me to Beza. That's fantastic. Even if it's not shared university history, it's still shared faith story history and the way that God is at work in us as young people and beyond, certainly. So, okay, tell me just big picture about Beza Threads. And then I want to hear more about how this came to be. So big picture, we're a not-for-profit, but what we do is we partner with organizations that work to rescue people out of human trafficking, sweatshops, slave labor, and provide them a sustainable future. And so our main partnership is with a group out of the capital city of Ethiopia. And our goal there is to rescue these women out of this huge industry and prostitution district and give them a sustainable future. And through that rehabilitation job training, we figure out how do we give them skill sets that will allow them to control where they're headed. And some of that is developing products. And so we work with these organizations that understand the cultural issues. And we partner that with our understanding of products from the Western perspective and figure out how do we partner those together where we can sell a product here in the U.S. to create funding to grow the impact of these people that are on the ground understanding the issue. And so from all the products we sell, we use those funds to help rescue more women, as well as continue to pay the wages of women that have graduated previously that we continue to buy their products. And so it's having this ripple effect of helping the next generation, but continuing to support the current generation of people that have been rescued. At the end of the day, we're here to help empower these women. They have stories that we can even begin to appreciate that they're getting to see God through. And we're just coming alongside to help empower them. 
maybe a tangent to that is our name Beza in the Ethiopian language means redemption. The way I think about redemption is this idea of it's not just fixing a problem or putting something back together. It's creating a future that is better than it would have been otherwise. So for these women, it's not just that they're getting rescued out of forced prostitution, but their trajectory for their future and their kids' future is better than it would have been otherwise if they would have had the opportunity. And the second part to that name is one of the very first women that we got connected with. She had a baby from being a prostitute and her baby's name was Beza. And all the women in the program helped raise this little girl. It all goes together. It's this beautiful kind of tapestry of redemption and how God's a part of that. I love that. That's really amazing. That story always gives me goosebumps. I love hearing that and how Beza got its name. Statistically speaking, we know that 80% of all survivors of human trafficking are vulnerable to being re-trafficked without dignified employment opportunities. So escaping and being rescued isn't enough. I've had two trips to Ethiopia. One was with a group of girls who were just pulled out of this open air market where they were exploited multiple times a night. And so I've seen them at the beginning of their journey. The next trip we went on was at that group's graduation, where we got to see them come full circle at the end of their journey. And just the difference in their eyes, their eyes go from soulless to full of life. Their laugh sounds different. In their physical body, it shows. It's kind of like a battle cry of like, I have to keep this going. We have to do this more and we have to keep this up for them. I love that there's actual data to back up the measurable impact that's happening here, but also that there is just a physical, emotional, social difference that happens in these women making their way through this program. That's super exciting. I'm imagining that there were some moments of shifting for you, Josiah, as far as like where this even came from. So I'd be interested to know what were some of those aha moments that were happening for you that started moving you in the direction of developing Beza Threads? Great question. I remember like one time in high school and youth, and we had one of these stations and there's a station that had a little sign that said there are more people in slavery today than there's ever been. I don't remember really anything else from youth group except for that one thing. And for some reason that stuck with me. But probably the biggest pivotal shift was as in college, I went to Ethiopia and this capital city is about 5 million people. And I got there and I was expecting poverty and I saw poverty and it didn't bother me. And this really struck me to my core because other university students that are with me, they're really broken up by the amount of poverty we're seeing. I'm like, well, kind of what I expected. But then we were partnering with this group that was doing this rescuing and rehabilitation. And so they said, hey, we want to take some of the students that are directly working with these girls and we want to show them where these girls were rescued from. I was not one of those students, but they took one of my best buddies and a couple other students that they took them out that night and they came back and they shared their stories. And I remember being in this living room and they got back and like, we got to get everybody together. We got to share what we saw. And so they started to describe this open air market and these little shacks one after another and these young girls 12, 13, 14 years old, standing out in front of each one of these. And I remember one of the Ethiopian leaders grabbed an American quarter somebody had given them. And he said, this quarter is not worth much to you, but this is wealth on that street. This is what these girls are being sold for every single time. Wow. I just remember this moment of God completely breaking my heart for these women. Just this intense, like, these are God's daughters. And I'm thinking, okay, if one of these girls were my niece or my sister, what would I do? Obviously, I would do anything. 
And then follow up question that I felt like I really got from God, why won't you do it for these girls? Right. And so that was like that question, this moment of like, for me, I expected the poverty. I never had expected to have my heart just completely broken for these women halfway around the world who I'd never even met before. Wow. I would have to think that just the visceral experience of actually seeing someone's face, being in that space where this is their real life, this is their real life experience, and that that is just a paradigm shift and that brings it to life in a whole new way. How does this experience in Ethiopia start to translate into a business? So we get back and we decide we've got to do something. And we knew at that time a little bit about the organization that was doing the rescue that they were teaching the women at that time to make scarves. So we set up a booth on our campus and it said lemonade for sale and lemonade was crossed out and it said sex for sale. And we had that organization ship us 40 or 50 scarves. And we had a bunch of information about human trafficking, just trying to educate students on campus about how pervasive it was around the world. And we said, hey, we're going to sell these scarves made by Women Rescued. We're going to send all the money back. And we had like doubled or tripled the price from what we bought them. So I think we bought them for like five bucks and we sold them for 20. And we sold out of those 40 scarves in like 30 minutes. And it was this moment like, oh, this could be a thing. Being in accounting and business and finance, that's where my mind immediately went like, okay, how could this turn into something more than what it was? So then went from there, graduated, got married, and my wife started to get sick of me telling all the stories about <laughs> Ethiopia. So the opportunity presented itself where somebody's like, hey, we need an extra leader. Will you, my wife, help lead one of these trips to Ethiopia? And so she got the opportunity to actually have the same experience that I had. And we'd prayed and prayed about it. And we're like, we feel like we're supposed to do something. So at the end of her trip, I go over to Ethiopia with $1,000. And I sat down with the director and I was like, tell me everything about what you guys do. And I was like, here's what I'm thinking. How about I buy as many scarves as this $1,000 will get me. I'll take these scarves back to the U.S., I'll sell them and I'll send you the profits back and we'll start to figure out how we use it to buy more scarves and so forth. And I remember smuggling two suitcases full of scarves back into the US. <laughs> we didn't have a name. We didn't have an organization. It was just, hey, let's do this. And that's kind of how we got started. When I go and visit Ethiopia, I talk to the team leaders over there. I just love hearing from their perspective what it was like having these really young college students be like, how many more scarves? How many more scarves? Can we do this? And they were just like, yes, you can have the scarves. Yes. So I always love hearing it from Jonas's perspective and other people, what it was like to watch Beza come to fruition. God just breathed life into what we now know as Beza Threads. So tell me more about how this progressed and became what it is today. So we get started and I'm like a year out of college. So my main network was InterVarsity staff. We hit five or six different chapters throughout Iowa, just sharing and selling scarves. I remember being so proud of what we did that first year. But I called the main director over in Ethiopia. I said, hey, good news. Here's how much money we're sending over. I think it was enough to help rescue three or four girls. You know, he's excited, but I could tell like something was wrong. And he goes, well, here's the deal. We've got 10 girls that are ready to run away from their pimps to be part of this program. We only have enough funding for eight. So I've got to decide which two don't get rescued. It was just this moment of like, how do we do more? How do we make it so that that's never a question again of there's 10 people ready to have their life changed, but sorry, we don't have the funding for all of you. So we just keep hitting the ground, talking to churches, doing gift fairs and getting a website set up. And it slowly grew from there. And um, one other game-changing story, three years in, 
each time I go over, usually Jonas, the director, is like, hey, I want to show you what's changing with the problem. That way we have a better understanding. How do we help partner with them? So he and I are in this little sweatshop talking with a couple of these boys that are current slaves. They're owned by this guy. Sweatshop owners walked out for a minute. One of the students recognizes Jonas. He goes, you're that guy that rescues people, aren't you? I'm ready to go right now. How does the director say, well, you know, we've got a budget year. Here's the program year. And this is when it starts. And so one of the things we added was having an ability to sponsor freedom or sponsor the rescue and rehabilitation. So, hey, you're past wanting to buy a product. You want to do something more. It's not for a lack of people wanting to have their lives changed. It's oftentimes the lack of ability to fund the impact. That's what we want to figure out. How do we solve? How do we balance out that equation? On that same note, I think Visa does a really great job of following our beginnings. Josiah didn't go to Ethiopia with a plan. This was a God lead me and give me the courage to obey in faith and out of love. So Jonas has told us many times over the years that Beza is the group that they go to when they have these random needs, because we are the group that says, we trust you, Lord, show us what is needed. It does not have to fit inside this box that we've created with this organization. There have been times where Jonas took Megan to a bakery and kind of like sweetened her up and essentially said, we need a van. In Ethiopia, you either hire a taxi, which can be expensive, or you stand in line and cram 20 people into a 10-passenger van. It's safer and it's more reliable to have their own mode of transportation. Josiah, it was a multi-year process, right? Well, the funny thing was the funding happened pretty quickly. We went home and shared with our church, let's get a nice used van. Ended up raising the funds to buy a brand new van. And then just like anything else, you think you've taken three steps forward and then there's challenges. The process of buying the van in Japanese yen in Djibouti, having it imported from Djibouti over to Ethiopia, being held up at customs, took multiple years. Wow. At the end of the day, it was cool to see people get excited and get behind having an impact for these people halfway around the world. There have been other random requests too. Like one year, they needed a new website. And so we said, hey, how can we help get a really secure international website for our partners? And Ethiopia, their buildings will lose power just kind of randomly for a couple of hours a day. As Americans, if we were to lose power and internet access for a few hours a day, that quickly adds up to lots of loss of productivity. And their version of productivity is being able to connect with partners and get the funding and meet with people to rescue lives. There are lives at play here. And so providing a private generator so that when everybody else around them loses power, they don't, that was really crucial for them. And so I love that we have the relationship with our partners that they can come to us and say, this is a random thing, but it helps us do more work for the kingdom of God. I can't remember the original question, but that was the answer. Whatever it was, this has been great. <laughs> Obviously, the idea of rescuing people out of these terrible circumstances is exciting and just like, wow, this is something that I want to be a part of. But what I don't ever think about is it's not just, well, we need to fund people that can go and steal these people away in the night. That is also these other tiny details that build up to being able to do that and to continue doing that. So I love it that we're getting to hear all of these other pieces that Beza plays a role in making happen so that the bigger picture, the bigger vision can continue happening. So Brianna, somewhere in this timeline, 
you enter the picture as well and become part of Beza's story. Tell me just a little bit about what that process was like for you and the role that you're playing today. Absolutely. I was a new baby graduate of a fashion degree and a marketing degree. And like many of your alumni listeners can probably relate to, I had no clue what I was going to do with that. And there was a ladies night at my church and Beza was there. They had scarves and they had just started rolling out some leather products. And I went to the person that was there that night for Beza and was like, listen, I have a marketing degree and I have a fashion degree. I don't have a job right now, but I love your organization and I want to be involved. And I was fairly persistent in communicating with them for a few months (laughs) until (laughs) they finally were like, okay, can I bring you a tote of leather products and you kind of give us feedback? Now, what's funny here is I had gone through my entire fashion program saying I never wanted to be a designer. I am not a designer. I am a merchandiser. I am a stylist. I will make the clothes look good, but I'm not going to create the things. And God was like, you're not a designer? Tell me more about that. (laughs) Because what ended up happening was I started taking over the design of all the leather products. I was just like, yes, I want to be a part of this. I saw the bigger picture of what God was doing on a global scale. And I was like, I will do whatever it takes to be part of that, even if it means becoming a designer. This is where the finance guys like, I probably should stop designing products and find somebody (laughs) appropriately equipped to do it. And, And then that's still the role that you carry on today is designing new products. Yeah, I get to wear both hats, directly working with the team in Ethiopia. When they say, hey, we need a design that facilitates this skill, then I work on finding a trend that meets that design need and we work together on it. So I lead that part of the program of determining what products are going to come out through Beza. But I also get to wear my marketing hat, which is what I love to do. I get to write the emails and I get to make the videos and I get to communicate with our customers the world impact they are having just by supporting Beza. Okay, so I want you to share how people can engage with the work that you're doing. But before I ask that question, can you share maybe just a little more? What is this process for the women who engage in the program? What does that timeline look like for them? Just so that people have a very clear understanding of these products that are being sold by Basil. This is what this goes towards. So the process actually starts before the process starts. There's a selection period. Our team in Ethiopia is so well known now that people come to the team and say, hey, I want out. But there's some sort of an identification process of who is ready. Who's ready and willing to escape and stay out? And then once they're rescued, they go live in a safe compound. The beginning of the program, they focus on the humanity of these girls. Health checks, any medicine if they need it. Trauma-centered counseling, because we need to acknowledge who they are as a human before anything else. They start working on life skills. Like, how do you live with other people without fighting? How do you make friends? How do you learn to trust people? They have to start the healing process before there's any mental or emotional capacity for other things. Usually a couple of months into the program, they are able to start more of that training. There's an education piece. Where are you at in your education? Where do you want to go with your education and with your training? 
But then from there, they get sorted into different life skill programs. We support and sponsor the leatherworking, but that's not the only option that they have. Since we've started the leather program, we've had at least five every year in our leather program. And this program year, there are 16. I always love it when I get the emails that are like, hey, can you buy us more sewing machines? I love that the program is having these growing pains. Once they're in their program, they go through a training. For leather working, it looks a lot like pattern making at first. After a couple of months, they slowly start working on their skills. Like we have a pocket wallet that's a fairly simple product to make. So they start with the simpler products and they graduate up to some of our more complex products like a backpack. And they are refining their skills for months. By the end of the program, they take a test that eventually they'll be certified by the government. And so they have this paperwork that they can go out and get an internship. And we require them before we hire them back that they go get experience somewhere else for at least six months. So they go out and they have an internship and some come back and they're like, will you hire me? Or we seek them out and say, hey, you were a really exceptional student. Would you like to be a leader and a mentor and help us make these products? Maybe just a couple of quick things to add is we're selling the products from the training program, as well as if we hire those women long-term. And one of the challenges we've had is the product quality for something developed in Ethiopia is different than what Americans expect. Americans expect perfection every time. Sometimes just educating. Yeah, that thing has a blemish. But that is something that happened as part of their training and their journey to long-term freedom. The other thing I'd add is that it's never a requirement that they be believers. However, through the counseling, what they do is our team over there use Bible studies for part of the rehabilitation. And the reason why I think this is really valuable is you imagine these women have never had anybody treat them with any type of value. They've been used, they've been sold. And so now you're teaching them that there's this God who created them. They have inherent value in who they are because he created them and was willing to die on the cross. And it changes the whole perspective of their self-value. It's That's one of the beautiful pictures for me, the story of Jesus and how that can be used to show the value of who somebody is. I love hearing the details of this program. Again, just the the holistic care that is taken here. Now, how can people access the products that Beza is providing or how can people partner with the work that Beza is doing? We have an online storefront that people can find us, www.bezathreads.org. There you can learn all about our organization, but you can also shop our products. And that is a way that you can have a direct impact on supporting the program and changing lives through the purchase of products. Our big holiday sale is coming up in November. And so I would definitely encourage people to sign up for the email list so that you can be notified when that happens. Josiah, do you want to talk about corporate gifting? Yeah, I want to hit that in one other area. So think who is somebody that I could connect Beza with? a small boutique shop that could potentially carry our products. Or we oftentimes have business leaders use them as their corporate gift. And we've done branding of those. We did some for some university alumni where we branded a lot of products for them. My point being, sharing your network and lending your network can be world-changing. I know it's several steps removed, but will have an impact on what we do, which is going to have a ripple effect. The other opportunity, it's almost back to our roots. We initially, that first year, went and shared at every university chapter we could. Imagine just the sheer power of numbers that university chapters could have 
whether it was they wanted to fundraise to rescue one girl, right, which is roughly $1,500. And that was their goal for the year. Or if they wanted to buy products for all their parents for Christmas or whatever it might be. The point being, though, the sheer numbers of the university chapters think about the impact that could have. So just two ways where using your network or using your buying power is world changing. I love that the way that you can partner with Beza isn't just buy our product and that will help us out, that there are other creative ways to be able to partner and to be a part of what Beza is doing in the world. There's so many things we've gotten to cover today, and I am so excited that we got to spend this time chatting about Beza Threads, its origins, where it's going, the things that it's doing in the world. Brianna, Josiah, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing the story of Beza. This has been so much fun to get to hear from you. Thank you so much for having us today. John, thank you for the opportunity. InterVarsity has been near and dear to my heart, and it's been a lot of the roots of how we've gotten to where we're at. So I just love the continuation of that vision of world changers and uh, excited to see where InterVarsity continues to go, but even how this podcast could have a world-changing impact. So like I said, maybe not a purely Urbana-specific episode, but here you have the story of an alumnus and his partners in this work who are operating with a mindset that's in tune with God's global mission. As Brianna mentioned, this didn't start just because of some master plan on Josiah's part. It started because Josiah and others like him were willing to say, God, where do you want me to go? How do you want to use me? And that willing spirit is what continues to drive the unique ways that Beza partners with these organizations in Ethiopia. And it's that willing spirit and that desire to partner with God in his global mission that we long to see cultivated in every alum at Urbana in December. It's an honor to get to share these stories with you, and it's also a great pleasure to tell you that Beza Threads is offering a 15% discount for InterVarsity alumni. Just head to BezaThreads.com, the link is in the show notes, peruse their catalog of amazing leather items and use the code IVALUMNI, also in the show notes, and get a sweet 15% discount on your order. You can also find a link to their email list in the show notes where you can find out more about this big sale that's happening during the month of November. So get some of your Christmas shopping done that way. Also, come visit us at the Alumni Connection space at Urbana for your chance to win some free Beza Threads gear. You don't want to miss out. Josiah and Brianna, thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you for the world-changing work that you're doing through Beza Threads and in partnership with others in Ethiopia. We're proud of you, and we are so grateful to know you as alumni. And yes, Brianna, I mean you too. I don't actually have the power to do this, but I consider you an honorary alumna. So let it be written, so let it be done. Alumni, it's been great hanging out again this week. Tune your dials next week for an early foray into Advent. That's right, for the next couple weeks, we're going to have some guests who are going to help prepare us for the upcoming Advent season. Next week, we'll be joined once again by our favorite Anglican friar and the director of alumni relations, Jason Gabery. And as he's done with several other notable moments in the church calendar this year, he's going to help demystify Advent for us. He's going to give us a better view of the landscape before the season starts, and he's going to talk about a couple resources that we can use, including his book, Wait With Me. And then the following week, we'll be joined by Betty Dickinson. She's going to share about her brand new book, Making Room in Advent. It's a devotional resource that I think we could all benefit from using during this season. As always, in the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and don't forget to share with your alumni friends. Your support in those simple ways is a huge help for us here at After Four and as a part of helping us continue to do the work that we love to do in making this podcast. 
Thanks so much for listening. I will see you in the after, alumni.